Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. sort of already been answered in a disturbing way but the thing about squid game is that they did such a good job of making the games look just fun enough that you're excited about the next one and you kind of have that vicarious feeling of like i could do this yeah exactly how long would i survive in this one this one actually looks enjoyable enough that i would right you know right. try to get through it or whatever uh they're not just depressing right. and harrowing the whole time and i was immediately like how long before someone completely misses the point and creates a game show that is just non-lethal versions of Squid Game? Yeah, it's already happened. And somebody literally uh-huh. already fucking did it on yeah. YouTube. North Carolina's yeah. finest, mm-hmm. Mr. Fucking Beast. Yeah. yeah. Slinging uh, burgers and missing the point of anti-capitalist propaganda. I got the feeling a lot of people missed the point of that show. Absolutely. There's, there's, <laughs> there's right-wingers all over Twitter like, actually, it's a critique of communism. It's like, in what fucking way? <laughs> The episode where they go back to capitalist society is called hell. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> right. just like, no, it doesn't work. Anyway, yeah, go back. What was your point, Alex? Or did you make your point? That's it. It's it's just that the entire thesis of the show is that this is a disgusting right. representation of how a capitalist system just, like, fucks you out of your life, your livelihood, drains away everything and makes just sort of an absurdist children's game type parody out of exactly you know, the struggle of our lives and someone's what like we did it for real but wait but what if what mm-hmm, if we do mm-hmm. this and make it fun though oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. just be like crazy and people still win money of course oh, i mean gosh. they gotta be playing for money it's wouldn't like, it be crazy if like a system based on competing for money actually killed people it, <laughs> right, i don't know exactly. what it was about that that reminded me of the story behind sharknado and how the lead i forget the guy's name ian Ziering, i believe is his name oh, yeah ian Ziering. Ziering yeah. thank yeah, yeah, yeah. He, How, yeah. he did not like Sharknado being brought up. But the reason why he, the part of the reason why he took the role was because he needed health insurance for his family. Yeah. 
Exactly. So, like, how many times can you laugh about that movie after knowing that fact? It's like, well, I, I can't even laugh at how bad this movie is. I, I know, but I can kind of a little bit because it's Sharknado. Uh, it is like, ridiculous. That's one thing. It's like John Q, but he's showing up on set, and they're like, so this is when the Sharknado hits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Plus, now he's extra mad because he's like, wait, I fucking hate my family, and everyone <laughs> just wants to talk about Sharknado, so my personal and business lives are both ruined. I did this to get my kid Adderall, and <laughs> should have never gotten that health insurance are we ready to do this let's do it all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to goat season we are so happy to have you with us listeners this is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time their most memorable episodes and their creative teams both in front of and behind the camera i'm phil mitchell and along with me is recently separated conjoined twin Alex Sinesi. Call me Gabriel, y'all. Also known as Gabriel. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And today is a special day for our Goat Season listeners. This is our first ever pod recording where we've got uh, a guest host with us today. Yeah, this is good. Yes. Good stuff. Today we have with us uh, Mr. Josh Sullivan. Josh, welcome to the pod, man. Hey, yeah. thank you. He doesn't just do our intro music. He is also he does the outro a... music. <laughs> he does not do the outro music, actually. <laughs> He's also a multi-talented screenwriter director he's written a ton of huge commercials he does treatments for marketing campaigns he's got music videos actually you have a music video coming out probably around the same time as this podcast right no hopefully right yeah dude for uh moray yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. you want to Oh, uh, yeah, there's a, yeah. Uh, a, a good rapper from Fayetteville, uh, just got off tour with J. Cole named Murray. Nice. We went up and made a video for him, and should be coming out soon. Cool. But it's, this comes out December 6th, so... Oh, well, I hope so, right? Out, yeah, right? Okay. yeah. Who knows how these things yeah. are? <laughs> What's the name of the video? It is called Ticket. Ticket. All right. Ticket. Nice. I'm going to be looking yeah. for that. Ticket by Murray. All right. Gotta get my ticket. I'm going to be looking for that on the tubes. And I'm the guy who took the boobs out of the GoDaddy commercials, so you can thank me for that. Oh, hell yeah. Dude. Dude, thank you no, so not. much. Thank you. No, I'm just kidding. Fucking national hero. Yeah. I was like, I'm tired of seeing this show with my family. <laughs> uh, I've never done a GoDaddy commercial. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, y'all. Yeah. Dude, thanks for coming thanks on. Thanks for coming on. We are so glad uh, to have you be with us today. We're going to be talking about episodes three and four. Or is it two or three or three or four? How do you, how do you? It's, it's nebulous because it technically the pilot is one unit, but... They split it up into two episodes for the rebroadcast. So we're going to go with three and four today. We're talking about episode three, Tabula Rasa, and episode four, Walkabout. This was my first impression because we've had discussions about what would it be like to have two episodes in a row that were pretty good. Yeah. And I think this might be, this is the first batch. I think that's pretty good. Episode three is pretty good, and I think episode four is outstanding. Episode three is serviceable. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I would say along the lines of the pattern we've seen so far, episode three's quality is in relative proportion to episode four, but... True. Episode four is so good. It's not good. That episode three being solid makes it seem a little lesser than. But I remember at the time thinking it was totally good. I mean, it introduced the whole idea of the flashbacks when Mm -hmm. it started. So it still had... That little bit of intrigue of like, oh, this is going to be the structure. We're going to jump back to the real world, you know, from the yeah. island. Yeah. 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 As, as somebody who's, that's his least favorite part of the show. I was like, all right. <laughs> so you're not a fan of the flashbacks? No. Um, okay. Listen, I'm I'm of the 
this is terrible for y'all's podcast, but I'm of the opinion that every TV show should just be a fucking movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, okay. Not all of them, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, you you got your. I bet you don't you don't want Ninety Day Fiance to be a movie. Fuck no, man. You don't want your favorite episode. Each episode of Ninety Day Fiance is an hour and a half. I am good. Keep it going. Uh, we're having fun. Oh, so but, they're um, already feature films. Exactly, That's what and they're great. They- and the star power. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. man. <laughs> I I I'm so there when you're like rapping. I, We'll get into it. But walkabout flashbacks absolutely work, absolutely bolster the story. I feel like sometimes it feels like they're treading water with these flashbacks. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it does feel like the flashback is more filler and less... It doesn't really say as much about the character as much as it is just trying to like, okay, well, now we have, instead of 35 minutes, now we have like a full 45 minutes of television or film just to put on the screen. Yeah, Yeah, I can definitely relate. You could maybe say about Kate's flashback that it really only needed to be one scene. Like, it's basically mm-hmm. one decision that she makes. Mm-hmm. I guess you get the emotional backstory to that decision, which is nice, but you could easily take that out and still get everything that they were saying about her character yep. with one yep. piece. And so the beginning of the flashback is fairly, like, slow. But we should probably do mm-hmm. the recap before we get deep Yeah, we probably should. Um, so the, re- I mean, what tabula rasa, that's a pretty straightforward episode. Um, and so it, it kind of focuses on the theme of fresh starts and starting over and in some ways avoiding one's past to a certain degree. Every character who has survived the crash is like a blank slate. Um, and there's opportunity to transform yourself from, you know, who you were in the past. Maybe you were Dick Whitman and now you're Don Draper on the other side of the crash. You can be whoever it is that you want to be. Um. So in the flashback timeline, spoiling another TV show. Oh yeah, uh huh, dude. No, 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 no. I don't even care. If you don't know that Don Draper is Dick Whitman, just get out of here. You shouldn't be listening to this podcast. All right, later. pot out. He's gone. I was telling Alex, I was like, I don't know why you want me on. I do not watch TV shows. <laughs> we're going to talk about oh, we're that whole get into guest it. process when we get yeah. to the oh, second oh, episode oh. here. It's it's fascinating, listeners. <laughs> there are twists and turns just to Josh becoming a guest on this that I was not privy to. So, what, in the flashback timeline, Kate, she shows up in Australia. She decides to work for a farmer who's down on his luck. She seems itinerant. No one knows why she is why she's there. The reasons that you know she is picking up work with this guy. Three months later, she decides to leave. The farmer, however, has discovered that she's a wanted woman, and then turns her into the authorities, specifically the U.S. Marshal. His name is Edward Mars, which I thought was funny. Um, he's played by Frederick Lane. In the current timeline, the transmission expedition, an episode in the last half of the uh, pilot, they come back to the survivors and decide to lie about the long-running French transmission, the French uh, recording. And then meanwhile, the critically wounded Edward Mars tells Jack that Kate is a fugitive and that she shouldn't be trusted. Jack's trying to keep this uh, the man alive. Kate is thinking about killing the guy, but eventually she chooses not to, and she has Sawyer provide the, the worst botched mercy killing of all time that results in jack having to put mars out of his misery and then the episode ends with jack declining to know sort of kate's backstory and instead just accepting her as she is yeah i really love jack's grumpy reaction to having to mercy kill that guy yeah (laughs) yeah it's so it's so good that's my one of the episodes it really is it really it's great i mean we might as well just hop into that i thought it was great because it comes right after sawyer is just chest pounding so hard and he's just Mm -hmm. like you can't do this you don't know how to get it done blah 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 and then you just hear the guy just gurgling to his death slowly 
it's so gross and so gnarly. Yeah, like, and they, they then Jack perfectly. Like, uh, like yeah. Hurley play, bounces off of it and just is like, oh no, and like that's yeah. like, they're kind of tipping your hat. They're like, you can laugh at this. Like that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. I think it's really, really well constructed. Yeah, it, it immediately cuts Sawyer down to size, where it's, it's like his machismo is going to be subverted on this show. Mm-hmm. And he yep. also, he has these moments too of just like horror following that where he's so freaked out by yeah. the fact that he screwed this up. And you're like, there's something more going on with this guy, right? Yeah, he's, he's very disturbed by it. He's kind of like grabbing a chance that they barely gave him in this episode mm-hmm. to perform a little extra, you know? Yeah. What did you think about the scene where Jack and Sawyer first kind of confront each other in the fuselage? Oh, yeah. I mean, Sawyer is still very one-dimensional at this point. I feel like it's really not until we get to his origin episode that they start to open him up as a character and give him those extra dimensions. Right now, he's such an obstacle to Jack, and the show is still telegraphing that we're supposed to be completely on Jack's side through all of this. Um, but uh, yeah, right. it's, it's just the show as usual, taking a character who's potentially interesting like Sawyer and sort of shunting him off into a role where he's only like propping up Jack's heroism. But they're, yeah. they're writing off his magnetism like yeah. a, a sure. lot with that portrayal. Because like, I don't find Jack that magnetic. Uh, he kind of is like a cipher to me for the most part. His role mostly is people walk up and ask him a question. We love to hear this, Josh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're glad you're on our side with this one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's just always doing his own thing. He's like moving some piece of junk and somebody walks up and they're like, hey, you're a doctor. Uh, do you know anything about like depression? And he's like, yeah. fuck off. Like, yes. not right now, please. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a human head in his hand trying to come back it. next time. <laughs> they're like, hey, I, my tummy hurts. He just seems bothered <laughs> most of the yeah. time. Because he yeah. literally is. Just they're inconvenienced. Yeah, he is. Yeah, That's why they you really don't are. become a doctor because everybody assumes that you're like top dog. <laughs> <laughs> Something I'll I'll call attention to in this episode that I thought was really fun was just every character still has so many injuries from the crash in the pilot. I mean, the most obvious one is the marshal who has this giant, awesome wound on on his side. And that one lady with the pregnancy. She's pregnant. Yeah, really. She really got fucked up in that crash. (laughs) This island's a little weird. (laughs) She's going to have a, like, 737 baby. <laughs> little baby with like little turbines under his arms. Oh my god! Yeah, dude. <laughs> but no, no. I just mean like Locke. He still has the cut over his eye. Jack has like these double scratches on his cheek that look kind of cool. And just everybody is still. It still has open wounds from the day before, and it so places you in that moment. And uh, it also takes you out for the flashbacks where Kate is looking comparatively pristine. And uh, I don't know, I just, mm-hmm. I feel like I miss that from a lot of shows and movies these days. I feel like characters aren't as often really, like, bloodied and cut up. Everybody is Wolverine in long-form media. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They just have, like, a cut in one episode and then it's a scar. An episode later and then it's gone. Yeah, and then and it's gone, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I, I just like that. I, I like how it centers us in this moment and it shows us that not a lot of time has passed on the show so far. It's pretty gradual, temporarily, right? We're also blessed that every day they state it, what day it is. They're like, we've been out here for four days. Yeah, We're yeah. so blessed to hear yeah. that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. I'd be lost if they didn't say that. Oh. 
I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> your your invitation like back has been withdrawn. All right. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> That's been rescinded. Right. It's been revoked, like diplomatic immunity. Yeah. It's That's got been really revoked. good. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely not diminishing returns on that joke. Right. Right. I guess we, we could talk, too, about Damon Lindelof, since he's the sole credited writer on this episode. Yeah. We talked about him a little bit on the pilot episode, but, uh, I mean, there's so much to get into with this fucking guy. Yeah, is, of course. I feel like he is the singular point to which all of the fan enmity and also love, just, just it all goes back to this one dude. It does. Undeservedly so, but uh, go undeservedly, ahead. Undeservedly, sure. He, he brought it on himself to an extent, I think, just in that he definitely consolidated power as a showrunner very quickly around himself from this initial brain trust of writers in season one. But uh, he's he's still responsible for all the, the big moments in this season, for, for all the big character stuff. So, you know, we got to mm-hmm. give him props there. Basically, sure. he started his career as a script reader, going through the slush pile at Paramount and Fox. His first job was on a Kevin Williamson drama for ABC. Uh, it was called Wasteland. Mm. It was canceled after like three episodes, though. Okay. That year, he also worked on MTV's Undressed, along with Jennifer Johnson, who's one of the... Oh, yeah. She's one of the writers of the people. later episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But his first big job was on Nash Bridges, and he joined that show in its last two seasons, which was run by Carlton Cuse. Oh, okay. Of course, we know he's a huge figure in Lost. He right. becomes the co-showrunner about midway through this season. That definitely seems like a case of Lindelof being like, J.J. is being pulled in so many different directions. I need a solid TV guy to help me like hold down the fort and also to mm. sort of strengthen my position as the creative head mm-hmm. of the series. And that's when he brings in his buddy Cuse. Okay. Is Nash Bridges, is that Don Johnson? Yeah, it's Don Johnson and Cheech Marin. That's and, right. Oh, they're doing that USA reboot movie. Right. Yeah. Right. They're okay. bringing them both back, aren't they? Yeah, because everybody's been fucking clamoring for it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in Knives Out and in Watchmen, yeah, loved him in both of yeah, both of those yeah, productions. Yeah, He's yeah. fantastic. Anyway, go ahead, Alex. So basically, he originally was brought onto the show by Lloyd Braun because oh, Braun yeah. hated the initial script by Jeff Lieber and JJ came in with a pitch that he liked way better, but immediately Braun was like, no, I need a guy who's on the writing staff constantly generating and also like writing these scripts out where a- Abram seems like more of an idea guy. He yeah, he is more throws, oh, really? throws a bunch of stuff out and uh, other people. Then he dips out. Then he dips pick out. up the pieces. Yeah. And this is really what it is. Yeah. Coaching. And then he comes yeah. back and he's like, here, I'll end it. And then he oh. fucking shits in front of yep. the camera. Oh, yeah. sometimes. Sometimes. Of so, when has he ended anything well? Oh, boy. Sometimes. Mm. Give me one, one solid I know. example. I think the, the answer is zero. Star Trek 2009. Can you count Star Trek uh, back in 2009? Because, like, it's just one movie. No, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, you can end You can't count that. You can't no, count you can't. ending one movie? All right. Fair yeah, enough, you can't count enough. that. I think you and I are in yeah, the minority yeah, yeah. of people who like both of those movies. I quite, like In the yeah, Darkness a lot. I like In the Darkness yeah. a lot, too. Oh, you, okay. I, I yeah. wasn't as high on that one. I did prefer the first one. Sure. Oh, the first one's definitely the craft, better. But I, I, think I don't hate Into Darkness. Yeah, I don't hate Into Darkness either. Yeah, a lot of people really don't like it, but yeah. Yeah, so Lloyd Braun brought Lindelof in for a meeting with Abrams. They immediately hit it off because uh, Lindelof was wearing a Bantha Tracks t-shirt oh, to off. the meeting. So they I'm a grown man. Immediately yeah. like, bonded <laughs> over their Star Wars fandom. 
And their arrested development. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, you know, Lindelof was basically, he was on Lost, and that just absolutely consumed him for its entire run. There's a really good interview with him on the uh, Dead Eyes podcast. I don't know you guys have heard about it. Yeah, you told me. I might have mentioned it. It's um podcast by this guy. He's an actor and comedian, Connor Ratliff. Uh, it's about him getting fired oh. off of Band of Brothers uh, <laughs> post audition. He was basically like cast, and then uh, the episode director, who is Tom Hanks, came in and fired him. Oh, I heard it. I have heard about the this. Yeah, about mm-hmm. it is that Tom Hanks apparently said that he had dead eyes, mm-hmm. so that's where yeah. the podcast name comes from, mm-hmm. and it kind of fucked him up for a while. For a long because time, because he was just like, "Yeah, America's dad just told me that I'm shit." So, <laughs> like, literally everyone is not on my side, like, right. irreparably, yeah. like genetically flawed. Yeah, but uh, it's it's a great <laughs> podcast. It's really interesting in how it just covers industry disappointment and how difficult it is when your entire sense of self and self-worth is wrapped up in your profession in this like very personal way too where it's like as an actor or as a writer being rejected is literally someone telling you i don't like all of the you that's coming into this right they're essentially saying excavate everything about yourself and your personality and then we might have something Mm -hmm. So uh, Lindelof came on and uh, was really great, really candid, just sort of about the difficulty he had with the fan reaction, particularly to the end of the show, and uh, just how the show was like this freight train. He describes it as the world's fastest treadmill, and if you slow down your jogging for one minute, someone screams in your ear. That's, that's how he describes the process of writing Lost, wow. especially in the beginning. That sounds terrifying. You would think by now that we would have figured out a, a good way to do things and like better timetables for things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In every aspect of the industry, you you are rushing all the time. Mm. Like, it, it was no just, matter what level yeah. you move up to, you can hit this level where it, it's like you know you're making Dune and you're like, well, I'm going to take like four years to do this, and they're like, okay, that's cool. TV is so different though, man. It Especially is. this particular show, yeah. which was greenlit by an executive on his way out the door. And so I feel like Lindelof and everyone else was like, well. This is a dream job, you know? This is me getting to bring in all of my favorite comic book writers and all of the people I enjoy working with to be on this, like, amazing science fiction fantasy sandbox where I can do literally anything I want. And then he got there and was just like, oh, anything. we have no time. We have no time to plan this shit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I definitely felt some sympathy for him there. And uh, he talked also about how creating the leftovers afterward was definitely a response to people's reaction to the end Fine, of Lost. Fine, I'll make something that no one watches. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that everybody pretty much loves. Yeah. Anyone who has seen that show considers it yeah. one of HBO's best. Probably one of the best of all time. I always hear, like, you gotta um, see the final season. I'm like, dude, yeah. what? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, final season? There's more than one season of this I have to watch? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Josh just put off my entire... Idea of yeah, you got to put up with eighty hours of being bored out of your skull. But there's like real, there's like five really good hours in there. The leftovers is great. It's the good kind of boring. That's that's how I put it. No, no, but it is totally a show that you could see stemmed out of his sort of postpartum depression, and probably also his smarting to the negative backlash that was coming at him from. His film work, because mm-hmm. as we recently mentioned, he went on to uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, which was hated. And he also wrote on Prometheus. And that, Oh, yeah, that's right. I feel like that was peak Lindelof hate. Was people saw his name in the credits and they said, that's every problem mm-hmm. that I have with this movie. And for me, personally, mm. 
that's where I turned around. Really? I really like that movie. You like Prometheus? Really? Because I thought, I, I remember we hate I it. Okay, so Josh likes it. You're saying Josh you hate it. I don't like it. Yeah, Prometheus, okay, okay. But I think the problems with that movie stem from Ridley Scott and from oh, of course. the initial conception of yeah. it. Because for one thing, Ridley Scott was changing shit on the fly the entire way through. Even during the ad campaigns. Oh, yeah. And yeah. He, he cut that movie to ribbons, too. It was supposed to be over two and a half hours, and it's like under oh, two hours. I would agree. You can feel the missing pieces yeah. very easily. But the thing that really got me on Lindelof's side is that I read the original Prometheus script by uh, John Spates, who is like one of the biggest like hot shit science fiction writers in Hollywood right now. And his script, which was called Alien Origins, is basically every shitty alien fan script I've ever fucking read. It is so by-the-numbers evil android face huggers popping out of eggs who has an alien inside of them it's totally boilerplate yeah what lindelof came and added elevated to it, it was david's character brilliant charlize's character Fine. like basically <laughs> all of the i know i'm in the minority i think that movie fucking rocks yeah exactly that is, that, is, that is a good that is a good horror movie that is got a lot of interesting philosophical discussions. It's a <laughs> oh, look at my boy, face. Sure. Listen, y'all. Interesting I, philosophical. Every time I throw on Prometheus, I'm oh, you said every in. time like, you throw on Prometheus, man. Every that's time, that's dedication I know. there, Josh. I think that's, I triggered me too. I've <laughs> thrown on Prometheus a total of zero times. I watched it once in the theater. Throw it on. Uh, throw it on. Throw it. It ages well. It ages. I might like, believe you. Know, I might believe you on that one. Okay. All right. I might buy that. But the casting is still horrible. Yeah. All over the place. There's so many like weird ass performances. I like not Tom Hardy. Oh. Oh, <laughs> I mean, he's just yeah. so distracting. That's the thing, though. You're just like, is he Tom Hardy or not? To be yeah. Tom Hardy. Uh, right. <laughs> you're like, did, did Tom Hardy lose? It's like the weight? guy. It's like yeah, what we were talking about last time, Alec. The guy who plays Sarah Snook's lover in Succession, and we're like, this guy looks like Jake Gyllenhaal. He's like poor man's Jake Gyllenhaal. He looks way too much like Jake Gyllenhaal without being Jake Gyllenhaal. Exactly. It's yeah. very distracting. Wham's games? No, 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 no not Wham's games. No, uh, no, no, no. The, oh, the guy, oh, the dickhead. Yeah, the dickhead on um, the campaign. His name trail. is Ashley. I forget his last name. Ashley something. Oh, I'm already out. Yeah, guy, guy named yeah, Ashley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but he looks so much like Gyllenhaal. You're just like, what is going on here? Looks like BJ Novak deep faking Jake Gyllenhaal. Remember he said that? Face. Listen, That's I'll, what he looks I'll like. I'll say it. Y'all are having to reach deep in the bag to find something to not like about Prometheus right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Yeah, it's fair. I do okay. like everything he brings to it. I think Lindelof has a lot on his mind, and people don't really know how to take that from a mainstream writer. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. He, yeah. he is fine with philosophical digressions. He is fine with murky morality. And he's yeah. fine with ruining Brad Bird's perfect record. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back into this shit talking. Before we get off that, just one more thing about Prometheus, real quick though. So the thing about John Spates is basically when the critical and fan reaction to Prometheus was getting a little like backlashy when people were starting to come out negative on uh-huh. that movie, basically Scott and Co. tried to divorce Lindelof from the final product as much as they could and they brought Spates back in and had him be the writer in all of the press kits about the movie and they like invited him to set and they basically like rolled out the red carpet for this guy who wrote this crappy script that was totally rewritten by Lindelof into something interesting and Spates got a giant career boost off that I mean he 
essentially started his career in mainstream blockbusters because of that. And he also throws Lindelof under the bus on all of the special features. He has all this stuff where he's like, you know, I thought my script was great. And then somebody rewrote me and he rolls his eyes. And I'm just like, man, fuck this guy, dude. He knows that everyone hates Lindelof anyway. And he's just like taking such an easy shot at him. Jeez, wow. But nobody's blaming Walter Hill who produced it. (laughs) Walter Hill? That's the guy we need to talk about. Yeah. (laughs) He's a a director, too. He's like, he hasn't been involved with that franchise since the 70s. So John Spates, he did, was he the original scribe of Passengers? Because that was a blacklist script. Yes. So that was him. That was his claim to fame is that they went back and grabbed his blacklist script for Passengers and totally fucked it up. And then he had another occasion to be like, well, I wrote a good script. And And then then they they ruined it. So he did Dune Dune with uh, Roth, right? Roth Um, rewrote him on Dune. Right. Well, yeah. I think... I think the copy of the script I have is Eric Roth's. And like yeah. that that one is it's solid, you know. It is. It uh is. he wrote Doctor Strange, which is a, a, a mostly insufferable movie. <laughs> yeah, it's um bad. and he wrote The Darkest Hour. Ooh, uh, the ooh. Emil Hirsch like Russian tax shelter movie. Yeah. So oh, I great. Wow, that's what? the thing, you see these fuckers, <laughs> they they make these terrible like scripts and they, they get elevated to the highest planes, mm-hmm. you know. He gets to live off Dune for the rest of his damn yeah. life. Yeah. I, which, I, who can I fault? Like, you wrote a script, people like it, like, whatever. Right. It's more that he threw Lindelof under the bus while Lindelof was That's already on his way down. Yeah. Lindelof and it's just, it's, got it's, fucked on that. He's such an easy target in that way. And this guy really didn't add anything that people like about that movie. Like, I'm, I'm not wrong that Lindelof was the showrunner on Watchmen, right? Yeah, he was. And again, I you know I'm I I think the the ending of that show left me a little cold. Mm. But what he did, and he went in there, is like he's got so much more on his mind than the average Hollywood writer. Right. And he's and he goes deep in the weeds on it. And like I, I don't know, you kind of have to admire it, even though I don't love everything he's done. Yeah. Watchmen is totally like the climax of his redemption arc. Yeah, I would agree. Watchmen yeah. is him finally coming in with something that. Everybody loves and that a lot of people actually watch. And yep. I think people could finally be like, all right, maybe we got it wrong about this guy. Exactly. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. I guess as far as other things about the episode, I feel like we covered most of this one. I would just say uh, Tabula Rasa, of course, is the philosophical concept put out there by john locke so yeah. uh you know it's a nice subtle segue into the Locke episode uh, just in the title there it is it's uh, referencing the philosopher who came up with the whole idea of self and yeah. uh, determinism from birth and all that yeah just thought i'd put on my fedora and throw that out there <laughs> Jesus. just 
this podcast is over. No. It, what about Kate? Oh, that's a great question. What Come on, guy. What? Well, yeah, they, the, the main, the main character. Yeah, exactly. I know that, that, that's what I thought you were Kate. doing. Like, I let's. Groaned and rolled my eyes when Jack was like, "You can't seem to stay in one place for too long." Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, it's been three days. Exactly. Saying this shit? Chill yourself, like, man. Exactly. Did you see her flashback? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I saw that flashback of yours. I gotta say, I'm not that happy. So, I mean, we might as well just get it, talk about Kate and then talk about like Evangeline Lily as well. The character of Kate, because we've talked about this before, is it's weird. It's one of those characters where I feel like this is a character that could have been interesting and then was just like underserved for the remainder of the show, um, which is really unfortunate because I was doing some research and found out that Kate was supposed to be one of the leaders of the, the packs of Losties on the island, but they kept Jack on uh, for the remainder of the show. And had Jack be the leader um, and sort of have Locke be another leader. But Kate was sort of like demoted to being sidekick, which sucks because I think that that, that she would have been a much more compelling lead. And I think Evangeline could have possibly carried that. She would have been a much more compelling character moving forward than having Jack the Doctor and, and Matthew Fox at the forefront. I don't think there's a lot of subtlety in her performance, to be totally honest. Uh. like. I, but she, she, there is an intrigue there. You know, I just think, I, I think she's head and shoulders above Matthew Fox's performance. Like, I, I think that okay. there is, there's a bit of mystery there, but there's not a ton of subtlety. And I'm not heads and shoulders, maybe a, a shoulder. Okay. She's got one shoulder. She's got one shoulder. Okay. But, uh, I, I, I don't think, just from rewatching these episodes, like, I don't think you can really fault them putting Locke at the forefront. No. I think that's by far the most interesting character that they yeah. have. Yeah, yeah, for certain. She is putting in work, and there is this sort of, like, star quality to her just right when you see her. Like, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, this person's meant to be on the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? yeah. I think your wife put it really well when we were watching the episode last night that she's, like, she's incredibly beautiful. She's also very cute, but she also looks like a normal person. Yeah. And then that makes her so, like, both accessible and magnetic if i saw sawyer in real life i'd be like okay like where's the camera mm-hmm. right now am right. i getting punked right now by this hot yeah. man but kate on the other hand yeah she, i think maria said she could be uh the hottest bartender in any small town yeah you know? which i it's coming from a woman so we're allowed to say it <laughs> As opposed to all of the unacceptable thoughts that i have yeah just her. just right. shut that down dude just keep it in the box yeah, I know she didn't call her cute. That's an Alex. Oh, thing. yeah. Alex is all about Evangeline. Lee. He can't uh, stop. So she's yeah. Canadian. She's a Canadian actress um, who was first scouted as a model, um, did some commercial work. She did had some small roles in like Smallville, True Calling, small role in uh, Freddy versus Jason. She landed lost. She's like 25 years old. Um, and so I think she was on the show until her early 30s. But yeah, she is ridiculously young. And like I said, the role of Kate was supposed to be much meatier. It was supposed to have a lot more to it. Um, and eventually they kind of pared that down to make more room um, for Jack, who was, again, supposed to have died in the pilot. They did give her one cool thing in her backstory, though, I, I found out, which was that she originally was supposed to have Rose's backstory. Right, her backstory right. was supposed to be that her husband died in the tail section of the plane, and she was on the island alone now, like, restarting. And they instead gave her the backstory of her being on the run as a fugitive which uh, by way of a printed out mugshot which i thought was so <laughs> stupid uh, 
a well, I gotta take her across seas before I do that. Any apprentice. <laughs> it's totally one of those like library printouts where they use the lowest amount of ink right. setting too, and you're like, how did this survive a plane right. crash and be totally legible? <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. And she she looks so good in that mugshot. Oh god. She, a, All right, just just stop it, Alex. Just stop it. Just quit mugshot. it. Dude, like, you're already no 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 no. no. Her, you're doing it already. Perfect. No, no, just stop it. Just stop it. Calm down. Keep your pants on. I'm just saying. God. Oh, just saying. Why are you foaming at the mouth? Dude, it's so dilated. Right Dude, you need a drink of water right now? <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> but the interesting, the thing that I think is interesting about Lily is the fact that out of all of the actors on the show, she's the one who's got the longest and the largest amount of staying power. Like, she got wrapped up into Peter Jackson's uh, yeah. Hobbit trilogy. Whatever you think about those, it's besides the point. She got paid. And then she is the Wasp in Marvel's uh, MCU. So she's having the career I thought Josh Holloway would have. I mean, for sure. She was another person who said she was retiring after the end of Lost. Most of the people who worked on Lost either retired from TV or movies or both by the end of it. So it just does not seem like anyone was a happy camper by the time the show was finished. But that aside, I think, yeah, it's probably a great lane for her. She's getting paid extremely well. And also, I feel like those movies are so hermetically sealed in terms of their production that it's not like she's out in the world right. constantly like fending off you know paparazzi and stuff she can kind of keep things low-key when she's not battling loki <laughs> <laughs> so bad I, I, I wish you would be hermetically sealed <laughs> which i was just suffocating in a ziploc bag right now <laughs> yeah I, w- I wish you were one of those bodies at the beginning of sicario <laughs> just in a bag <laughs> just wall insulation yeah <laughs> Who's got Alex in his bag? <laughs> oh, hold up, guys. A 1-800 number is calling. I'm just kidding. I need to take this. So, You both, and I think my, we're all big fans of Walkabout, correct? Uh, it's the standout episode of the first season? Yeah. Yes. Are, are, we, are we in agreement on that? I would say so. Standout episode of the show. Of the show. Okay. Okay. And I've only seen that episode. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely the best example of the initial flashback structure yeah. of this show. Before they had to switch up the formula, this was the one that totally sold us on the idea of, oh, we're going to discover something amazing about these characters. And that being said... Josh was so excited to be on this podcast. We did a bunch of scheduling shenanigans to flop things around and get him on it. And then he and I started watching Walkabout last night, and I made a small inference to the big twist in the episode, and Josh was like, what are you talking about? Oh, <laughs> you remember really? the twist oh, wow. on the episode Oh, that's so great. Oh, we were watching that Nicholas Rogue movie. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, why did you pick this one? And Listen, because I'm a slave to think pieces, and I, I, I heard that Walkabout was a great episode, I gotta, I gotta hop in there and see what BuzzFeed was talking about. My, my Watch Mojo list really, oh, they sent me this way. Wow. Um, no. Uh, I, well, I will say this. Yes. Alex was laughing the entire episode because I had no idea what was going on. I'm just so glad that I didn't offhand reveal the twist at any point in us yes. talking. Yeah, I don't know how I did started that. up and you're like, oh, that's fun. They, they, you think he's just looking for his shoes. I'm like, what's he looking for? Oh. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I was thinking the whole time, I was like, is this a Dunkirk thing? Like, is he stealing shoes off bodies? Like, 
Are those not his gold tip socks? <laughs> he requested this episode, y'all. Yo. Oh my god. This, so oh, you great. wanna know why? Because I super didn't want to watch a, a lot before the episode that I had to watch. Oh. And I was like, walking okay. out to get episode. Okay. Like, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm a smart That's well man. Well so <laughs> it was actually really fun because last night I got to see the twist work on him in real time. Yeah. And it that's was magic. one of those things where I would say Josh being naturally a skeptic of TV structure and TV storytelling, I saw you like totally perk up when that moment hit again and be like, oh wait, no, this is this is real. Yeah. This is our well, real. and because they're yeah. like, he's like my condition. And I'm like, is it like E D? Like is he like <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can still do a walkabout you know, if you're a little limp. I don't know he's that limp. Uh, I'm sorry. I actually think that's not PC. Um, so feel free to cut that one off. <laughs> oh, no. That's staying. It's staying um, in. Okay. But, yeah, I really liked it. I was not yeah. entirely held by the the second or third episode. And then this one, it's like, it's it immediately, it's like, there's something going on. There's something yeah. just magnetic. And it's because they got a real secret they're hiding. Like, oh, Kate was on the run from authorities. It's like, mm-hmm. you know what? That's not... I don't know anything about this person. So I don't right. have any assumptions about her. I assume that Locke can fucking walk. Mm-hmm. They played it so well. They did. Well, that's the thing. We see that all through the first season of some characters essentially had all of their backstory filled in. Yes. In the pilot in the just pilot. by their behavior. Mm-hmm. And others, it's like, we don't know anything about this guy and he's fascinating. And they're just full of mysteries and their flashbacks totally work depending on that you know some of them is just killing time of like oh yeah here's how charlie got hooked on drugs he was a rock star wait we already knew that what's the point you know and then you have others like sawyer where he's just filled with all sorts of intriguing contradictions and anything you learn about him only opens the door to more complications yeah and Locke is the same way because it's yeah like, is this guy a weekend warrior is he a skinhead is he some kind of a fucking weirdo like you mm-hmm. really don't know mm-hmm. if he's a creep or not yeah yeah up like, until like this episode and even after you even after it's like, still like i don't know how to read this guy yeah. yep yeah it's an interesting episode um so what i mean we might as well just summarize it, it it's one of the best episodes of lost I think of all time. And so, I mean, just right off the bat, John Locke, he awakens immediately after the crash. He smiles at his foot when he sees himself able to wiggle it. It seems very innocuous at the moment um, until the reveal, which is fantastic. We're going to reveal this, right? We're spoiling this, right? Of course. Yeah. Oh, I already did. (laughs) Oh, that's right. He did. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So what is it? The, the, The Losties are trying to gather themselves to collect themselves. They find out that there's boar that are on the island and Locke just shows up and he's like, hey, I can catch these boar, I can hunt these uh, animals, and I can bring them back, and they're going to be our sustenance moving forward. And it's so convincing because he shows up, he's like throwing a knife at Sawyer's head, and he's like wearing like all of this like hunting gear, and he shows off all of his knives, and he looks like a total badass, cool, calm, collected. Um, and then the flashbacks just basically show you that that's not who this guy was. He was a corporate peon. Uh, his boss like berated him and made fun of him all of the time. His boss, who looks like the lead singer of Incubus, yes, like, exactly. Thank you. Like, you really did. Suit, oh, you know? Randy, it's just like yeah, Randy, Randy, talking shit. Yeah. To him. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's... oh, you like risks, do you? Yeah, like, with little Oh uh, God, cute. yeah. Exactly. How long are their fucking lunch breaks? I don't know exactly. 
<laughs> I love that they also wanted some sort of military tabletop game, and yeah. what the art department settled on is we're going to take a bunch of like children's army men and dump them on a risk board. <laughs> exactly. You know, it didn't even look right. It looks so strange. It's a yeah, really long yeah. game of Risk, and you're right, Josh, a really long lunch break. Yeah, get this man a paintball gun. Exactly. That's where <laughs> yeah, he belongs. He definitely has that vibe. <laughs> of the course. Warrior, for sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, so Locke is obsessed with the idea of going on this walkabout in the Australian Outback. He shares this uh, goal of his with a woman named Helen, who at first seems like it might be his girlfriend, but I think it's pretty much uh, implied that this person is a sex worker, right? Am mm-hmm. I Okay, yeah, yes, of course. Yes, like a sex worker. Uh, yeah, okay, you know? yeah. Man, remember when people paid for dirty talk on their phones mm-hmm. to the tune of $90 an hour. I heard that and I was just like, what the hey, fuck Alex, world was this? We were Alex, living do in. you have any open uh, OnlyFans subscriptions going on? <laughs> hey now, uh-huh. hey now. It's way more personal and they all love me, all right? <laughs> Those are strong actual relationships. You know? I'm, a, I'm, I'm working on getting one of their numbers. <laughs> Oh boy! So what? Locke he uh, arrives sorry, in what? Uh, he he arrives in Australia. He's gonna go do the walkabout, and then the, the instructor, the lead, the guy, tells him that he's not able to because of his quote unquote condition. Uh, Locke is very very upset by this. He's enraged, and in a moment that is the greatest reveal. We see that John Locke has been um, he's a paraplegic. He's been in a wheelchair. He's been wheelchair bound this entire time that we've been watching him, um, and only once the crash happened and he wakes up is he able to mysteriously walk now. And so, yeah, this instance of, like, profound tragedy is one of the happiest days of John Locke's life. Yeah. They hide it so So well well hidden in the flashbacks. Funny part of it, I guess, if you were watching it for the first time and had no idea, I could see now someone thinking, huh, they're doing a bit more, like, standard network coverage where everyone's sitting down in a medium shot for these flashbacks. They they don't have the visual pop of, like, Kate's flashback yeah. where there are car chases and just, just more, like, uh, uh, shallow focus photography and stuff like that. It's pretty much all just, like, locked down static shots. Everybody's in place. And, of course, that totally sets up this reveal where he, he pulls back and the camera pulls back with him and reveals the wheelchair. And it's just, it's so yeah. brilliantly seated in there we gotta talk about it though kind of a dick move on his part to be like i'm gonna show up not tell them about the wheelchair and like y'all gotta cater to me and it's like dude do you see the buses they're working with how are you gonna get up there you're like yeah you gotta you gotta carry me around for this whole time it's It's like, like dude hey maybe if you can't do the thing that's right in the fucking title like don't be so fucking put on when they're like hey you should have told us about this we don't we can't really make concessions and he's like, fuck you, man. Yeah. He's like, I, it's never impeded me before. It's like, dude, it, it is right now. Right. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to being impeded. And obviously, it's it's a tragedy. But it's like, you know, I mean, come on, yeah. take a little bit of responsibility, my yeah. guy. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to need two Sherpas for this one. Like, <laughs> yeah. what the fuck, yeah, man? That's how exactly. I want to go on a layout. <laughs> right. I, yeah, had never considered that, but that is a very good point. Not to mention it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you think about Terry O'Quinn? Oh, he fucking rules. Yeah. I mean, he was one of those guys where you might have seen him and stuff, but you had no context for him as a person. He's been in everything. So when he shows up as Locke, he can just be this 
blank slate, yes. this tabula rasa that you can project menace onto, that you can project heroism onto, and he plays yep. all of it yep. so well. This guy, I mean, I just looking at his credits, I was like, this guy has been in everything during the 80s and the 90s. He has a face for everything, I feel. I, I think that's just going to your yeah. point, Alex. Like, he can be menacing. He can be very fatherly and very protective, and I think that just speaks to the range that he's got as an actor. Yeah, it, it is typified in probably his only leading role before Lost 2, which is in the horror film The Stepfather, where the entire point of the movie is that he's this con man murderer who shows up and takes on the guise of a stepfather or... I heard he's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it either, but he he's just a guy who can fluidly move into any authority figure yep. role, essentially. And he shows up and he looks in the mirror and says, uh, who am I here? You know, and he has right. to remember. It's kind of, yeah, the perfect role for a character actor who can just blend in and do anything. I would love to move my fluids into any authority role. <laughs> Damn. I'm all about the fluids. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what he, what he brings is gravitas. What he brings is this world wariness that does not feel put upon. You know, a, a lot of, I feel like these people are growing into these characters as they start mm-hmm. the show. There's a few people, I think, uh, Walt's dad. Harold Perrineau. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think from the jump, he's pretty great. Yeah. 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 But Locke really comes in. It's like he is, he, it's almost like he's been inhabiting this character for a long time. Right, right. He's not bringing an Ian Summerholder energy to it of like, what am I doing? Oh, is that Boone? <laughs> yeah, that's Boone. All right. Boone bar, Boone oh, bar. No. Right, right, right. Oh, no. Boone, who looks like I'm, he fell out of a network dude, sitcom and landed how, on how, this how do you sell this show without an Abercrombie model doing oh, nothing Jesus. in the background? That's right. Shots? That's a good yeah. point. He's just so out of <laughs> It really is. So, so Alex was talking about something last night. It's like we were watching, you know, they got the dog. Yeah. Locke finds, Locke finds dog. a dog. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this dog is running around. And then Vincent Alex, played by Madison, by the way. Oh. At Marie requested that I look that up. Thank you. Uh, Alex pointed <laughs> out that he's like, oh, it's probably a, a girl dog. And we're like, why? It's like, because you can't have these like great shots and just have some red rocket in the background. <laughs> and that, now I was picturing every time they're just having an intense like, conversation. He's just trotting in the background. <laughs> they rack focus to him. And he's got this little red rocket hanging out. Just in a wide shot where everyone's like looking really somber at the funeral. And there's just Vincent with a red rocket like right up front. And it's like, well, we can't fucking edit this out, you know? Just put the Giacchino score over it. We'll be fine. They just start wrapping green screen fabric around it. Right, right. Yeah. So, yes. They used a female dog, so they of course. didn't have to shoot around the dick. I'm sorry, are you afraid to say what they're called? <laughs> I didn't even think that. They used a real bitch on this set, let me tell you. And I'm not talking about Terry O'Quinn. Oh. Oh. I wasn't going to say Kate, because then that's just me. No. And that's, that's not mean. an appropriate joke. And then and we're, not, we're not making those she's kind of jokes. She's a very I'm wonderful I'm person the joke. who would love to date me. It sounds like... God, Alex. Just... <laughs> Go get a drink of water, my dude. So um, he's been drinking his empty cup of coffee. I know, like I know. every time he yep. makes. It oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so I think now is a good time to talk about it. You want to just? Yeah, exactly. Out. This should be our podcast. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Let's have him mysteriously replaced for the next yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this episode was written by David Fury, who is. A pretty crucial figure, I feel like, in the early story of Lost. Basically, the deal with him, he uh, got his start as a TV writer in animation. 
He jumped over to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He wrote freelance scripts for the uh, second and third season. And then he was promoted up to a staff writer and then an executive producer pretty quickly after that. And he actually was like co-showrunner by the end and also was co-showrunner on the last season of Angel. But that's definitely where he made his mark, you know, working in the Whedonverse. Following that, he came on to Lost and he wrote some really big episodes. He wrote the first flashbacks for Locke, Saeed, Hurley. I mean, mm-hmm. major characters getting established yeah. here. And like the the wheelchair twist did come from Lindelof. That was absolutely okay. his original concept that came up in like an early brainstorming session. But Fury definitely put his mark on this show and then was fired before the end of the first season. Really? In a fairly like acrimonious uh, situation. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was the first guy to come out publicly and say, the writers don't know where this story is going. Early like we in, needed confirmation. Oh, I mean, at the time, people were very invested. True. And people were shook when that original article from David Fury hit. It was about like midway through season two that he dropped this. And he said, look, they, they have no idea episode to episode what's going on. And all I was trying to do was make it seem like it meant something. <sighs> Wow. And so there was a lot of a lot of shade thrown, clearly a lot of bad blood there. He he went on to have a big career though. After Lost, he jumped on to 24 in season five, which was a noticeable uptick in quality okay. for that show. Basically where it like lost the last vestiges of being a real-time concept and just became like an right. action show. But you know, it was it was good for at least a season or two on that. He worked on Fringe again with JJ okay. Abrams, so I guess they were still yeah. being released. He wrote episodes of Homeland and Hannibal. Oh, I mean, he's, Hannibal. He's on okay. a lot of good shit. All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's that's the real one. No yeah. kidding. I mean, that is, what a show. I, that, that is a TV show that I will always go to bat for. Dude. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, come on for Hannibal season yeah, two. Yeah, man. Oh. I will come on for <laughs> You and Will Graham both. You just wanted to work that in, didn't you, Josh? You, you yeah. asked before we started. some of those green night ropes. Oh, man. So we didn't even talk about uh, Terry O'Quinn. We might as well. Great actor. Oh, yeah. Great repertoire. Very good. Trusted, mm-hmm. s- solid, um, you know, solid actor. I like this guy. You love a bald I kid, do. You know? I you know do. Alex does. That's why Alex is a good friend of mine. <laughs> I, I feel the representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, I mean, what? He's a Michigan native and then ended up landing in Baltimore to just, like, do theater work. Got his first on-screen role in Michael Cimino's uh, Heaven's Gate, which is apparently one of the worst films ever made. Never seen it before. I don't think it carries that reputation. I think it carries the reputation of being the biggest disaster. I, okay, I, it's, maybe. It's okay. gotten a, a, a pretty hefty critical reevaluation. Okay. It's just one of those movies that changed how movies were made. It, it was okay. when they were like, we can't be doing this epic shit anymore. You know what I mean? It's the movie that kind of <laughs> killed the 70s because uh, it was completely mm. financed by United Artists who were the artist studio, the, the director's absolute like hands-off. Um, Started by Charlie Chaplin and others. like Right, right. And, and moving through into the 70s, they were just the epicenter of the new Hollywood movement. And then... Heaven's Gate came out, which cost, I think, if you were to convert the uh, the money to today's dollars, I think Heaven's Gate cost like $400 million or something like that. What? So that movie by itself completely bankrupted what? United Artists okay, okay. and kind of killed the 70s. So it's not yeah. necessarily like the content of the film, it's just the fact that it was a disaster in the, like just in making and producing it? 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Production went forever. He fired tons of actors. Many people have said that there is a cut of that movie that is really great and that is basically not like anything else. You know, I think it's (laughs) it's gained an appreciation just for being this insane edifice of total artistic freedom. And it did basically kill his career. It it was like 150 million. Oh, okay. But then you got to factor in, you know, advertising them trying to recoup. Right. Man, what else? So like what? O'Quinn, he works on like a number of like TV shows and movies. So he's in L.A. Law. He's in Tombstone, Miami Vice, Remington Steel. He's in The Rocketeer, Remington Roswell. Steel. Dude, I live for some Remington Steel, son. Exactly. Uh, which reminds me, I've got, an, I've got a question for you at some point, Alex. Um, so he's perhaps like best known, obviously, for the Stepfather Horror series. And then he got when he was in Lost, he got nommed for two Emmys in 05 and 2010. Since then, I think he's got just as many credits post-lost as he does pre-lost like he's just had steady work ever since then and has not stopped which is cool like it's always good i think to see people who had like their perhaps they're the peak or the pinnacle of their career and they're still doing like good work um elsewhere he's from that generation of character actors where like they you can always bring them in and know you're going to get a solid performance Mm -hmm. we don't have many like that i think i don't know if it was you i was talking about but it's like i can think barry keegan might be the only like character actor like coming up on the scene that we have right now he's such an exciting actor though it's like when's he gonna break into a lead role? yeah i i almost don't want him to though and 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 so i think that's kind of he that's kind of where terry o'quinn fits in yeah yeah he's a worker yes unpretentious about it they asked him about the casting process he basically said abrams came to me and said uh we got this network show and it shoots in hawaii and he said great what time do you want me there exactly you know Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you're saying that like that's a huge ask (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i get how he was just like any acting job whatever i'm gonna take it i'll do whatever yeah Yeah. i don't have to read it's like when i hit up somebody i'm like you want to light my thing for free it's like no you get to go to hawaii and become famous and get a lot of money it's like oh boy yeah yeah we at one point i think last season talked about Oh, it might have been this season. No, it was last season. We talked about uh, things that are uh, Philcore being, oh, yeah. uh, what was it? <laughs> What's the name of that movie? Oh, JC uh, Shander. A most, a most Violent, violent Year is yeah, so I was trying to, Philcore. I was trying to think. <laughs> because it sounds like this lurid, awesome right, crime thriller. Right. And it's actually an incredibly sad movie <laughs> about like people <laughs> suffering from depression. And then there's like one weird act of violence Whatever. like an hour. Yeah, okay. That's what is, what's, what's, sure. what's Alex Core though? Uh, I would say that only like hornier and bloodier. Exactly. Essentially, no, uh, okay. Alex Core is something with a uh, probably a female lead, yeah, uh, oh, made no. by a pervert. Um, and this is Leon the professional. Had, oh, exactly, oh, exactly. He's got that tattooed on his back. You know? Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Okay. Alex Core is also shit that nobody's ever True. seen. Like TV oh. shows, I think a okay. lot of times is like. You can ask, like, how, how many USA shows have you watched? Probably a good bit, right? No. I, you haven't been burned by the notice? <laughs> I have not received my notice. No. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that one in the mail. Uh, no, no. I, I feel like Sicario is Alex Core. It's awesome female lead in unspeakably disgusting situations that are beautifully lit and shot. So it's and, like when a woman comes over to your apartment. Right, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 
Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado, a.k.a. Yeah. She, she walks Second in and she's with like, Alex. Alex, where are you? And you burst out of the wall in a bag. Don't worry, I'm wearing the bag over my head. It's yeah. okay. Uh, but could you pull it tighter for me? I will be asking you to do that later. <laughs> Alright, so you're thinking uh, Sicario. That's what you're going for? Yeah. That's respectable. Yeah, I, I think okay. so. Very, like, stripped-down crime. Like, essentially, mm. like, take take all of the extreme elements of crime and mm-hmm. then cut out, like, 70% of the dialogue. Okay. All right, fire. I mean, Drive is another one. Drive, yeah, that was where I'm at. I thought it was, like, between... I didn't even think of Sicario, but I definitely thought Drive and or Mad Max Fury Road. I mean... But that's my okay, core, so, though, too, though, because it's also... I no, that's, saying, that's also Josh Core. That's also mm-hmm. Josh Core, because Josh Core is goofy shit layered on top of an amazing genre okay. piece. Like, he loves it when it just gets a little bit weird, a little bit off kilter, and you're like, this guy's making choices. Like, if you say that about a director, it's probably Josh Core. All right, <laughs> you I know? like that. I, yeah, yeah. Brazil's my favorite. Ooh, yeah, that, you're... That's, okay, that's a nice, yeah. like, uh... That is just a choice basket right there. I just had a lot of fun with the new Resident Evil movie in theaters. Like, Josh Core is anything and okay. everything. It's long. If you're taking yourself too seriously and you don't hit the mark, then it's not Josh Core. Oh, uh, okay. And you don't hit the mark, then it's, that's not Josh Core? Green Knight is not Josh Core, yeah. Okay, because it took it. Oh, yeah, interesting. I don't think it's any of our cores. Honestly, it might be Phil Core. Yeah. Oh. I think it is. So are you like movies to nap? (laughs) No, I just like ones that, you know, you you might be a little bit there. You might be there. You might be a little bit elsewhere at the same time when you're watching that film. Philcore is your eyelids just droop involuntarily, not full nap. It's like your vision is just getting a little cloudy, you know. I have to see that movie again to see how I feel about it. I feel like it needs a a rewatch and evaluation on my part at least. I thought the same thing and then I thought, well, maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe never again. Maybe nope. <laughs> oh, I guess the last person we got to talk about is just Jack Bender, who directed both of these episodes and directed more episodes of Lost than anybody else. Huge, huge television director. And it's like Jerry Garcia. Yeah, he does kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, he got his start actually as an actor. He was in network sitcoms like all in the family he was in the mod squad he usually played like the hippie and he said it wasn't especially fulfilling for him he felt like he was never a very good actor but he really liked the directing side of it and starting in the 1980s he became a television director he did a bunch of tv movies his first uh, feature was uh, child's play yeah, Three, yeah actually in 1991 i haven't seen that one it's it's the boring one, honestly. Uh-huh. Really? Because I, I just don't like children. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like most child's play movies in that it has one good sequence. So uh anyway, the same year that he did Child's Play 3, he also directed uh some episodes of David Chase's show, I'll Fly Away. Mm, and okay. apparently the two became friends on set, and that's how he got brought back into the Sopranos. Mm-hmm for season three but um by that point he was also just like a pretty major television director he was directing a bunch of alias Mm -hmm. with jj abrams and uh you know i mean just very successful directed uh episodes of boston public ally mcbeal carnival game of thrones he directed the episode the door which was oh okay yeah yeah lots of crying and directed uh, a lot of therapy after that even come close to watching yeah yeah he also directed an episode of the lion's den oh yeah um, oh yes in in that for later oh yes we might have to watch the lion's den oh i totally will on air rob low oh yes (laughs) 
Oh boy. <laughs> Rob Lowe and Kyle Chandler. Really? Right before Friday Night Lights. Oh, Lights. wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Chandler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's great. And uh, most recently, he directed almost every single episode of uh, Mr. Mercedes. So, uh, super hard work. We're all movie. watching all the time. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> because it's on the Audience Network. Yeah. Hey, that wait, amazing non existent network. There's a thing called Audience Network. It doesn't exist anymore. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. What, with Mr. Mercedes, you would think that. <laughs> It's tapping in a gold mine. Yeah, yeah. HBO just like extracted Mr. Mercedes from the audience network as if it was like a reverse tumor to healthy there tissue situation. There was some other thing. What was it? Like you know? the Mr. Inbetween or something? Is that a show on like FX? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Inbetween? Yeah. I'm it's good. on FX. I'm good with these it's, Mr. shows. It's actually yeah. supposed to be awesome. Huh. That one. All right. Great. I, I need to start cool. watching it. Oh, yeah. I love FX shows, man. <laughs> They're pretty good. I mean, They're solid. I like, good... I like Atlanta. I like Atlanta. I like Atlanta. the first season yeah. of Legion. Yeah. I like the first two seasons of Fargo. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, season two of Fargo. We're definitely yes. podcast, man. Definitely. Cool. I've seen that twice. I've well, watched it multiple oh, times. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. That's one of my favorite shows That's what you got to do with the show. You have to really be fucking with the form for me to, like, stay locked in, mm-hmm. I feel like. So, power rankings? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You got some power. Oh, I do. Loaded up? Yeah, I've got some. Oh, you want man. me to go first? You go oh, right ahead. Oh, All right. Wait, yeah. Let me. Can y'all explain to me how this works? <laughs> it's. I mean, you make up your own rules. Oh, okay, cool. You can do them based off of characters if that's just like the easiest way to do it. That's the standard way to do power rankings. And then Alex got a little uh, deviant with it because that's just who he is. <laughs> and yeah, don't 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 follow his uh his example. Um. All right. right so right. I'll go with mine first. Mine are based on just like all the ways you could possibly die within the first four episodes of Lost ranked. Um, so we've got at five being impaled by a shard of metal, four boars, three botched mercy killing, two polar bears, one mysterious island dinosaur. Of course, mm-hmm. of course, we gotta go with the monster mm-hmm. at number one again. There you go. Yep. <laughs> He's just gonna be rolling the charts in general. Absolutely. On this. All right, what are yours? So I will go at number five with flashbacks that reveal the origin of tattoos or other body modifications. Mm -hmm. At number four, I'll go with flashbacks that reveal things that we already know about the characters, such as their heroin addictions. Mm -hmm. At number three, I'm going to go with flashbacks that start slow and then by the end reveal exactly one thing about a character, okay. such as uh, Kate's flashback, right. for example. Mm-hmm. At number two, I'm going to go with flashbacks that are just pure action. You just throw a lot of lot of noise, a lot of sound and fury into there, and then uh, at number one, I'm going to go with uh, flashbacks that uh, reveal something totally fundamental about not just a character, but the entire fucking show. A flashback that reveals that you are actually watching a fantasy show in addition to science fiction, which is, I feel like what happens at the end of Walkabout is it opens up the genres of the show so much Mm -hmm. where it's like, not only do we have a potential like robot dinosaur lurking around in the jungle, but now we actually have magic on this island. Miracles can occur, right? Yeah, yeah. Either a miracle or some technology sufficiently advanced to appear to be magic. Exactly. You know? Okay. So uh, I like these. That would just be it. it. Just the way that the show is completely redefined in that moment is part of the twist. Yeah. Not, not just that it's a twist for the character, but that it's a twist of like, oh, you're watching something 
that's more expansive mm-hmm. than you had ever thought before. Okay. Yeah, like, that's where we all got so fucking jazzed on this season, man. Even more than the pilot. Like, Walkabout is what confirmed for us that we were going to stick with this show till the finale. Josh, what do you got? All right. With no sort of binding, like, uh, ethos at all. Yeah, of course. This is, um, mm-hmm. All right. So first, my power ranking, uh, I guess, well, let's start with five and, or four and work back down. Uh, we got breasts. And uh, Michael's reaction to seeing breasts, which is, um, yeah. I would call incel at best. He, he <laughs> drops all of his spaghetti, dude. Yeah. It's yeah. wild. He stands there for like five minutes trying to hand her a shirt. It's like, dude, like yeah. I know you what fucked are you doing, man. I know you it's fucked so before. awkward. And then he has the audacity yeah, to ask them yeah. to watch his, his kid. But hey, kind of a power move. All right. <laughs> That man. I don't like how this power ranking started. I'm gonna be honest. All right. The man, the man in the suit, who's like you see briefly. Uh, yeah, uh, that's where right. You're like, what's this guy's deal? Uh, so, is right. your power ranking just like partial reveals? Is that what's going I, on? Okay, actually, yes. So it's partial. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly um, what it is. Okay. The next is Locke's big toe. Ah, yes. Okay. I've, I've never right. seen a more like uh, intrigue from somebody shaking their big toe. Uh, Aside then, from, you know, in a Quentin Tarantino movie, obviously. Dude, did you come up with that line of criticism? <laughs> That's crazy. Um, and then number one is uh, the guys who shake the trees off camera. Like the, the guys who are down <laughs> on the floor shaking the trees. That is the show's biggest fucking asset. They they should have been paid more than the director. You're right. Uh, okay. That that just makes me think really quickly. It's just like how I think the first four episodes don't really do a great job of using the environs as... You're in Hawaii. It looks lush. It looks great. It's a wonderful, beautiful place. And they managed to not capture that in the way that other shows did, like White Lotus. Like, White Lotus oh, wow. makes Hawaii look gorgeous. And Luscious menacing. and delicious. And menacing. And, and Walkabout, when Locke is going off on his own, there's a lot of really good kind of like long lens shots of him walking through these tall grass and it is very there's cool. one i remember yeah and and you know i almost listed 35 millimeter film in my like power rankings because oh. that makes this show so nice to watch it is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. even when they're like pushing the stock unfairly far and it looks grainy and a little blown out i love it yeah I love it. yeah okay yeah larry fong is doing a great job still fong of his work <laughs> So what's up, Phil? What do you think we should talk about next? Are we wrapping up? <laughs> no, I think we're, we're about to do uh, Name That Episode. It is about that time. It's about that time to see if I can humiliate Alex. <laughs> Here we go. Feel free to jump in if you know one of these. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Josh is not going to get to help you. No, <laughs> you have to endure this humiliation on your own, sir. <laughs> Let's right. see. Let's go. So this is a two-thirds Terry O'Quinn-themed Name That Episode. Yeah, I decided to go a little bit special this time. All right, so here we go. Terry O'Quinn starred in this season seven episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, which was written by Ronald D. Moore and directed by LeVar Burton. Uh, during the episode, the Enterprise attempts to recover a Federation starship in possession. Call the Pegasus. Get out of here. Just get out of here. It's a yeah. Good job. <laughs> it's a uh, new transwarp, uh, transcloaking drive, rather, on an Oberth's class. What was that? Ship. Do you want to say and, that uh, again? It gets Just trapped inside of a, a rock. Oh, okay. It gets like phased into an asteroid, basically. It's I, a great uh, episode. I don't think I want to hang out yeah. with this anymore. That just that hermetically sealed it for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> 
god. That was good. Oh, tag me boy. And tag me. Bring yeah, me I know. Yeah. Uh, all right, here we go. Number two. Fantastic. Uh, this season nine episode of The X Files focuses on the investigations of John Doggett, Dana Scully, and Monica Reyes. While Mulder remains in hiding, Terry O'Quinn makes a guest appearance as the Shadow Man. Oh, man. Dude, season nine, bro. That's fucking brutal. Uh, I don't think I've ever even seen every episode of season nine. Mm. <sighs> oh, man. Um, is it called, like, uh, Trust No One with one as a... He did it, ladies and gentlemen! What? He did it. He did it. <laughs> yes, he did it. Good job. Oh, my uh, God. Josh is shaking his head over here. He is face-palming yeah. the fuck out, I do. dude. This is it. He does it every single time. I don't know how Alex does this. All right, so this, those dude, were the two. I know two. how. <laughs> Right, those were the two Terry Quinns. Yeah, honestly. those were the wow. two Terry Quinns. All right, so oh, yeah. last one. Here we go. This mm. second episode of the third season of Buffy was directed by James Whitmore and written by Marty Knoxon. In this episode, Buffy struggles with life back in Sunnydale, and an ancient Nigerian mask acquired by Joyce summons an army of zombies. Oh, is it uh, Dead Man's Party? Did it again. Three for three. Oh, my God. Crushed it. Fuck, yeah, Three for dude. three. Guess what you win. <laughs> <laughs> An inability to relate to people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I win. <laughs> oh, oh, my man. gosh. Any final Woo! thoughts on oh, either of good. these episodes? Walkabout's great. If, if it could sustain that sense of um, intrigue and payoff, I, uh, I would have kept watching past the third season. Ooh. But the moment I see those motherfuckers in like cages, I'm yeah. like, I'm out. Yeah. See, Josh is a classic fell off early in season three. He made a rookie mistake because season three actually culminates in probably the best final batch of episodes. Of oh, man. So you fell off just, just a little, little too, early. too early. My rookie mistake yeah. is not wasting hours <laughs> of my life. <laughs> Mistake. Oh, I went out and found love and like uh... <laughs> <laughs> rookie uh, mistakes. All of them. How are you, Alex? Any final thoughts? <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, watching it again, you appreciate the craft, but I just have to bring myself back to that that time in 2004 when this episode absolutely blew my mind, and when we all just could not stop talking about this fucking yeah. show. Man, it was uh, it was so exciting, and Walkabout was really the hinge point the pilot was so great but i think we were all waiting through uh tabula rasa to see like all right are they going to be able to like keep this formula going and walkabout was where they said oh no we're expanding this so much further than you ever thought and uh maybe that was uh, a bit of false promises here and there you know you hear from david fury certain things later but uh this episode just reminds me of how exciting it was to yeah. really really be getting into yeah. this show what about you? Yeah, I kind of feel the same as both of you. It's a great episode. I think it's great to see the first uh, the first depiction, the first iteration of the flashback formula that they're eventually going to be using for every single episode just about. I do like Tabula Rasa quite a bit. Um, I don't know what it is, but I think that's a great episode. It's a good solid episode, I think, to have after a pilot. And then for Walkabout to come immediately on the tails um, is fantastic just to like really boost the momentum, I think, because uh, the next episode after that is kind of a drain. And so, yeah, it is good to start the season. Yeah, it's good to start a season with two solid episodes. So, yeah, and it definitely brings back a lot of the, the magic of watching it the first time. I agree. For sure, man. Hey, uh, just got to 
Thank you again for coming on the podcast, Josh. We so yeah. appreciate it. Uh, everybody, check out the uh, Murray video when that drops. And uh, yeah, man, thank you so much for doing our intro music. Yeah, man, too. it's a fucking bop. It gets me <laughs> excited to listen back to mm-hmm. this podcast because yeah, I listen. Oh yeah, to all that's that's I fun. Did. It originally was designed to be the opener for a friend's like stand up special, and I wanted to make the most annoying thing I could. And y'all were like, <laughs> yes. we love it. And we I'm can't like, wait to exactly. put this on every episode before I, five minutes of non sequitur exactly. bullshit. <laughs> so yeah man gotta thank you for that gotta thank janice o'leary for our artwork gotta thank Battlequake for our outro music uh if you have questions please email us at goatseasonpod at gmail.com or hit us up on the instagram at goatseasonpod we have posts sweet goat pictures we got uh interactive activities on there fucking coloring books i don't even know what else and uh we'll see you next week Peace. peace Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.